Welcome to the 1 and 0 podcast hosted by Joe Cook and Brad Kellner. The 1 and 0 podcast is part of the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast channel. Be sure to subscribe and listen to not only our show but Paul Wadlington and Kevin Dunn's show, Everyone the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast. Today on the 1 and 0 podcast, we will talk about the Longhorns 2020 recruiting class, including two late additions made on Tuesday and Wednesday afternoon. Then we'll talk a little bit about some players to watch in the 2021 class before talking about the Texas Town Athletics Town Hall put on by Chris Del Conte, some important things he said during that meeting, and some things to look for in hoops over the next few weeks for the Longhorns. If you'd like to contact us directly, send emails to everyone gets a trophy with the number one at gmail.com. That's everyone gets a trophy at gmail.com. And our show would not be possible without the following sponsors. No doubt. Audiovisual Consultations, avconsultations.com is the website, 512-255-8678. The phone number to call when you want the home TV setup of your dreams, TV surround sound, AV Consultations can make it happen. We are getting close to the month of March. Yes, the NCAA tournament right around the corner. Hey, whether or not Texas is in it, we'll wait and see. But regardless, you're going to want to watch the action all month long. There's no better way to do it than that custom setup from audio-visual consultations. And also, this podcast is brought to you by Altstadt Beer. It is German beer made here, brewed locally in Central Texas, available wherever you buy beer in Central Texas, DFW, and Houston. It's the absolute best beer there is. Make sure you get your weekend and whatever you have going on all spring long with the greatness of Altstadt beer. No impurities, no regrets. So with uh, Christmas, or at least recruiting Christmas, kind of being in December now instead of February with the early signing day, uh, yesterday, National Signing Day, number two, kind of loses its luster around the country. Most play, Most classes are complete. They're signed. Coaches are ready to move on to the next class. But there were still some spots available uh, in Texas's class and still some players that the Longhorns were looking at. They landed two uh, over the over the Tuesday, Wednesday little time frame we're talking about. Kelvante Dixon, athlete from Carthage, uh, probably going to end up being a wide receiver, state champion, Keontae Ingram's br- brother, and Alfred Collins, the big five-star according to 247 uh, from Bastrop Cedar Creek. I think the first prospect from Cedar Creek to have a – recruiting profile in that school's short history. Um, both of those guys are important additions for different reasons. Kelvante because you needed a wide receiver, and you found one at a state championship program, but he's a guy who can play multiple roles, and then landing a five-star is always a big deal. Yeah, no Always a big that. deal, especially one whose mom went to Texas, was a letter woman at Texas. I think that's the right term. Lettered at Texas. <laughs> Lettered at Texas. Lettered at Texas. There we go. Is still in the greater Austin area and who is literally two turns down State Highway 71 from from UT Austin. So uh, the additions were important for Texas on National Signing Day, and they helped them to you know what was a number nine class, I believe, in the composite rankings, uh, you know, in, in 247's own metrics. On rivals, they had Texas way down. I believe they were in the, you know, late teens. They or were something thirteen like, yeah. on rivals. Right, thirteen on rivals, mm-hmm. and then ESPN. I believe they were also another top ten class, but you know, trailing Texas A and M, uh, and I don't think they tr- flipping back and forth with Oklahoma. So those late additions were huge, uh, but 
obviously Collins, the five-star, the guy close to home. That's the one you needed to bring home. And Oscar Giles, Tom Herman, and everybody else made sure that the dust was orange in that gender-reveal-looking balloon that he had at his announcement. I was going to say, you were there in attendance at Cedar Creek High School in Bastrop yesterday. I mean, watching that video on Periscope, that looked like a lot of hoopla and commotion. But for you in person, was that the craziest in-person announcement that you've ever been a part of? I had never been to – I had been to signing day ceremonies. I, I mean, one of the main ones I've been to was Sam Ellinger's uh, when he signed at Westlake. I had been to other hat ceremonies. I went to Will Baker's when he chose Texas over UCLA. But I had never been to a hat ceremony on signing day for a prospect of that caliber who ended up choosing Texas. And, I mean, it's Austin. Most of the people in at Cedar Creek and – in the Austin area, are going to root for the Longhorns. Oh yeah, and they went nuts. You once could you tell made the they they had they had some sign that you know they had cheerleaders run signs. Will it be Oklahoma? Yay! Will it be Alabama? Yay! Or will it be Texas? And everybody stood up and cheered. Oh and, yeah, you know you you could hear the eyes of Texas go start playing as soon as he did it, and everybody was singing it there. So you felt pretty good. That that was definitely one of the coolest things I had been a part of as far as on you know, covering Texas recruiting because it was something I hadn't seen before. No doubt. The whole school was there. He had a video presentation. Then he gave a speech thanking everyone, including the cheerleaders. How about that? You don't hear that too often. You hear teammates and coaches and family and God. And he even thanked the cheerleaders, man. He got everybody. No stone left unturned. And then you're right. It was like a gender reveal type of thing where he popped a balloon and there was a bunch of orange confetti. And then he had the box with the UT hat in there. It was pretty cool. A lot of commotion, but mm-hmm. I think he's worth it, man. This guy's incredibly talented. The number two ranked strong side defensive end in the country. Top ten player in the state. You mentioned 24-7 gave him a fifth star, and a lot of outlets view him as a borderline four- to five-star type of player. He's the third-ranked player in this entire class for Texas. A monster get. Anytime you can beat OU in Alabama and really any school in the country, uh, that's huge, but Man, it's a perfect fit in terms of this guy's a beast, and it's also a perfect fit in terms of you need some more defensive linemen as you transition from a three-down front to a four-down front with Chris Ash. So I'm excited for Alfred Collins. I'm fascinated to see where he plays at the next level because he played defensive end in high school, but, dude, he's already 6'5", 285. Mm -hmm. And there's way more defensive ends at the University of Texas right now than there are defensive tackles. So perhaps there's some early playing time for Alfred Collins if the coaches decide they want to move him inside, have him bulk up a little bit, or they could leave him on the outside, and hopefully he becomes an elite pass rusher at the college level. It's a big get, and I'm fascinated to see how the coaches use this kid over the next three to four years. He's a guy that, like Vernon Broughton, you can kind of put in multiple places and you know, he's already being already 285, being that big, you can tell he can hold 300 pounds, if not more, pretty easy. And Tavondre Sweat was kind of like that last year. And you saw him, number 93, get some action early this season and uh, get some pretty, pretty good playing time. So, uh, of, of course, it's going to be a different D line with a four man front instead of a three man front. I don't know if he sticks at end. I really don't, but I think he could play it uh, reputably if asked to. He could be a really good three technique and a guy who is able to get one-on-one with guards and, and be able to you know be a threat to the passer that way. But this is definitely a guy who's the combination of size and movement skills. I mean, I think about a year and a half ago he was 6'4", 240, and now he's pushing you know, 6'5", 285 oh, already. Man. So this is a guy who I think not only did his skill you know 
go along a positive trend line, but his size did as well. A very positive trend line. And, you know, all those things happen to work out really well for Texas and that they got his signature. Cherry on top, icing on the cake, bow on the present. I mean, any anything you want to use to describe Alfred Collins committing and signing on National Signing Day, uh, that's what he feels like he's that important, at least on paper, for the success of this team moving forward. And also, Kelvante Dixon, you mm-hmm. talked about him for a little bit, four-star athlete from Carthage. I'm with you. I think he's most likely to play wide receiver at the collegiate level, there are some folks speculating whether or not he could play cornerback, play on the defensive side of the football. But, man, if you're looking for evidence for how good Kelvante Dixon is, and by the way, he's brothers with Keontae Ingram, as you mentioned, so we've got a Kelvante and a Keontae. Uh, good luck, Craig Way, with that. Thankfully, they have different last names for his sake. But in the state championship game with in which Carthage beat Waco La Vega, seven catches, 120 yards, three touchdowns. Also, three carries for 32 yards as well. Now, that's not not, not quite what Jordan Whittington Mm -hmm. did for Cuero in the state title game last year when he was in high school. That's a pretty damn good stat line. Uh, I think Kelvante Dixon, a little bit under the radar, wasn't talked about a whole lot. Maybe it'll take him a year or two to get any playing time at UT, but uh, that guy's got potential to be a take-the-top-off-of-a-defense type of receiver, which... The Longhorns could use a, fo- a few more of those. Yeah, Kevin Flaherty at, at 247 Sports put it uh, pretty succinctly. He goes, six-foot wideouts with 10-7-100 meter times are always welcome 11th yeah. hour additions. Yeah, we'll and take I that. I disagree with that. There were a couple, I guess, 11th hour lack of additions. Uh, one was at a position that, you know, obviously with, with Alfred Collins joining, it strengthened it a little bit. And you felt good with what you had with Vernon Broughton and Sawyer Gorham Welch already on campus. But you did miss on Princely Uman Mielin from Maynard, uh, one of your previous commits who, you know, obviously showed he had a lot of disdain for playing in a three-man front. But, you know, the hire of Chris Ash and the move to a four-man front and even retaining Oscar Giles, even after that he made a couple, I believe, an unofficial visit and then an official visit in the last few weeks leading up to signing day, wasn't enough. He had a Texas X's hat on the table, which I had never seen before. Oh, really? And I forgot somebody had signed it, but I, you know, I think it was Earl Thomas. Hats. Whenever you got it, I didn't see it was a Texas X's hat, but I heard that it was uh, an autographed hat right. by Earl Thomas. And whenever you see a non-regular hat, or, or you know, something that's a little bit different from everything else, something's a little, you know, the hat science says something's up. There's yeah. a flag there, and Texas X's. You know, that's not a logo anybody knows to think right. that's what you wanted to get. You could kind of figure that it wasn't going to be Texas from seeing the Texas X's hat yeah. immediately on the table. I always get a kick out of that, right, for the hat-picking decisions. There'll be four hats on a table, and three of them will be old dad hats that you just got from a friend or a friend's dad or a friend's brother, whatever, and then there's one brand new flat build like yeah. pristine condition What's, hat and it's like dude are you even trying to fool anybody here you've completely killed the element of surprise without even picking your team which one's from exxon and which one's from <laughs> yeah, lids you know exactly. exactly but he picked florida and what you miss is a guy who had a, the ability to play on the outside he was one of the better defensive end prospects and uh, again another guy down the road and it always hurts to for guys right down the road in the Austin area, not just in state, but in the Austin area, to to head out, but that's a that's a guy that they're not going to have, and uh, you know even with the like I mentioned the four man front and and Oscar Giles' previous commitment, it just wasn't enough to to get him back in the fold, and and I, it's a player that I think they're going to miss on the field over the next few years. 
Yeah, you know, I, I'm not surprised that Princely didn't choose the University of Texas. Now I'm a little disappointed, right? Talented player, would love to have him. You want to keep your Central Texas cats here in Central Texas. But I was pleasantly surprised by the fact that he didn't choose Baylor. Right, mm-hmm. everybody assumed this was a Baylor versus Texas battle for Princely, and probably in that order, right? I think the majority of predictions of the crystal ball folks out there would have said that Princely's going to sign with Baylor, even after the Matt Rule deal, and even after, um, uh, even after Frank Ocam took the job with the Carolina Panthers, there was still a belief that Princely was going to Baylor. So at least you know he's not coming to Texas, bummer. But at least he's out of the conference. He's going to Florida. I wish him all the best. And, uh, yeah, getting Alfred Collins helps out a little bit because you at least got one of the two defensive linemen you were trying to close on. On the other side, you, you know, like we mentioned, you got, like you just mentioned, you got Alfred Collins, you got some defensive, you have quality defensive linemen in this class. What you're missing and still missing right now is a cornerback, right? They had Keaton Crawford. They have him signed, mm-hmm. Tyler John Tyler, uh, really athletic but lacking in some of the specific skills corners need to have. And they tried to get in on Duncanville's Ennis Rakestraw, a teammate of Jaquindon Jackson, quarterback signee. Uh, they were competing with Missouri and Alabama. And here's the thing. I think, A, Rakestraw was rated properly. I think he was a three-star prospect. And Texas desperately needed a corner, but he was still a three-star prospect. And I think his value to a school like Texas and to a school like Alabama shot up because of scarcity. There, you know, with the first signing day, you lose a huge amount of talent pool. Literally, totally cut off from a huge talent yeah. pool. And whatever's left is whatever's left. And not to say that Rakestraw wasn't a good player, but I think he's he's rated properly. Uh, and, you know, Missouri had been on him because at that point he was a Missouri caliber player. I think he kind of barely fit the bill for being a Texas player. And you saw Texas try and get in late, offered him on January 10th. And Alabama uh, was also in on him late, offered him January 7th. Um, but whatever it was, Chris Valai, or Jay Valai, Chris Ash, and also Nick Saban couldn't, yeah. uh, couldn't sway him from going to a school that he had built the longest standing relationship with, who even though I believe they fired Barry Odom, they retained uh, the defensive back coach who ended up being, I think, promoted a coordinator – and then you saw Elijah Drinkwitz, you know, with one of the most viral moments on social media yeah, on that? National Signing Day going crazy. He looked seeing, like a fan right yeah. there, like a fan of a team who had just gotten the number one player in the country. Right. So you're still missing uh, a corner, another corner in this class, and you're going to need some because guys like Jalen Green, Anthony Cook, and Deshaun Jameson, we haven't seen it yet, but they probably still envision themselves as NFL potential players, and that could be coming up after this season. So that's a spot you really needed to bolster up, and they failed to do so at the high school ranks. And I'm not sure, you know, spring practice still has to happen and things have to play out, but that's something they're definitely going to be looking for in the transfer market. Yeah, no doubt. I agree with you 100%. And I'll give some credit to Ennis Rakestraw. I'll credit the kid, man. I mean, it's tough turning down Nick Saban, and it's tough being a Texas kid turning down the University of Texas. But, you know, everybody's got – something different that's the tipping point right the main reason why they decide to go to one school and for Rakestraw it seems like hey Mizzou's been on me they've wanted me the longest they've been clear from day one that they want me to be a top priority for this class meanwhile Texas and Alabama came in late so he uh he was never committed to Mizzou but he was always interested in them and the uh, interest was reciprocated so 
uh, good for him. But you're right. I mean, just one cornerback in this class. Keaton Crawford, really, really talented. I think a lot of folks believe he has a ton of potential at the college level. But only one cornerback in a class. It's not like quarterback. It's not like exactly. running back. There's well, two got, on the field. Got, yeah, exactly. you got two <laughs> quarterbacks in every class. Like, it's become a priority for Texas now to get two QBs in every class when only one is on the field. And nowadays, you've got two to three cornerbacks on the field at all times. So, to only get one, it's disappointing. And yeah, if there is a priority number one, and there's a couple, and we'll talk about these, but if there is a priority number one on the transfer market, whether it's a grad transfer or even a guy who would have to sit out this coming season, uh, it's probably cornerback for Texas. And that's one thing that, uh, just a, a really brief message about that, I'm very curious to watch what Tom Herman does as far as transfers because he tries to build up, you know, or he has built up a culture of earning. And I'm sure most football cultures are like that. You go from school to school. But how receptive is that culture to transfers who have to sit out a year, who aren't grad transfers, who aren't JUCO transfers, or guys who – you know, maybe could be labeled by some people as, oh, you gave up on your team or something like that. I'm very curious how Tom Herman will handle regular transfers. And I think over on the first signing day, he kind of gave a very vague answer so he didn't have to commit to something right. or be held accountable to something. Obviously, with grad transfers, those guys have earned their degrees and have immediate eligibility. JUCOs are, are JUCOs. They've earned their associate's degree and are going or were originally qualifiers. But there's reasons for transfer. And I guess a lot of times it'll have to depend on the reason. If it's Brew McCoy, yeah, they're going to fight like hell to try and get him to be immediately eligible. If it's, let's say, Ennis Drake, I'm not saying this is going to happen, but you know, since we just threw his name out there, say Ennis Drake straw doesn't like Columbia, Missouri in a couple of years, or and you have a need somehow still have a need for corner. Are you going to take him back if he's just a regular transfer, right? Or are you going to tell him thanks but no thanks, find somewhere else? Yeah, I think that's we... something to note in this particular offseason. Do we have any examples of non-grad transfers coming into this program? I mean, obviously, not, grad not transfers. Not at the scholarship okay, level. I was going to say, because Calvin Anderson, grad transfer. Trey Watson, grad transfer. Parker Braun, grad transfer. And they all have been great. They've been mm-hmm. godsends for the one years at the University of Texas. But, yeah, I don't know if we have a whole lot of examples or really any examples of a scholarship player transferring in and seeing whether or not they'll play. Right, and so that'll be something to see for Herman, but that's something for a that's a perspective deal. If we can talk about the guys, I don't think we did this back in December. But we can talk about the guys that they they did sign and are coming to Texas. Sure, and I think you have to start at the top, like you just mentioned, with the quarterbacks. That Texas may have signed the best quarterback class in the country this cycle, with Hudson Card and Jaquindon Jackson. They are. There seems like they're all in on uh, on local Austin quarterbacks at this stage. Uh, Sam Ellinger from Westlake, and then you have a card from Lake Travis. Um, they saw a bunch of Lake Travis quarterbacks go succeed elsewhere and decided it was time for them to pick up. And they didn't just grab the guy to grab the guy. This is a very good quarterback oh, yeah. prospect. Uh, you know, led Lake Travis to deep playoff runs, almost led them to a state championship in a backup role uh, for Matthew Baldwin before I think they fell to either – Allen or Katie that year this guy is talented he's got the arm talent to make all the throws going to be a guy that's going to have going to have some trouble keeping weight on and strength and conditioning just because that's what happened that's what's happened with him at Lake Travis but of course he's going to go into college nutrition program they're going to try and put the pounds on him the good pounds on him and let his athletic ability 
uh, absorb those pounds and also his arm talent, you know, just continue to grow and develop while at Texas. Yeah, no doubt. It's hard not to be excited about him. 6'3", 180 right now. So you're right. He could uh, put on a few more LBs, but I had the pleasure of watching him play a couple times in high school. He's really, really good. And a guy who got better every single year at Lake Travis. Started his career as a receiver, Mm -hmm. then moved over to quarterback, but uh, he's pretty damn special. He's the number two ranked dual threat quarterback in the country. He's not your traditional Dual threat. I mean, you think dual threat, you think of super fleet of foot, you think of the, the Lamar Jacksons and Michael Vicks. Like you think, uh, all right, this guy's going to take off and run right away. He doesn't really have that to him, but he can take off and run. He does have some athleticism, but it is his arm. It is the arm of Hudson Card that makes him so highly touted and such a good get for Tom Herman and company. Uh, excited. Always love to keep the local guys local, and Hudson, Hudson Card has a chance to be a really, really good player at the college level. Fellow quarterback in his class, Jaquindon Jackson from Duncanville, uh, basically a, a high school football legend in Dallas. He's thought to be one of the guys who uh, really leads that Duncanville charge and unfortunately went down with an ACL injury yeah. in the state semifinals. Uh, but, you know, I don't think it was – They, I, I think his head coach, uh, Reggie Samples, said that, you know, it wasn't a full ACL tear. Uh, so there's still – there's the positive news there, but – I mean, you could tell how much this guy wanted to be on the field for that state title game, basically suiting up, even though he was going to have surgery pretty soon after that, suiting up to be out there on his on the on the field. With oh, his he team. would have done it if the coaches didn't stop him. Duncanville p- helmets all had number three stickers yeah. on on. The, you could just tell that this guy means a lot to Duncanville, uh, means a lot to the high school football community in Dallas. And oh yeah, by the way. Probably one of the best players that South Dallas has ever produced on the football this field. This guy's a beast, right? Hudson Card, ranked number two, dual threat in the country. Jaquindon Jackson right behind him at number three, dual threat in the country. And he's a little bit more fleet of foot. He's more of the stereotypical dual threat. And he's got some size to him, too. Uh, and he's got a great arm, man. He's I, got a rocket sometimes arm. Sometimes when you say dual threat, it's like, oh, okay, well, can he throw or can he just run? No, Jaquindon Jackson has a cannon for an arm, a rocket for an arm, however you want to describe him. Incredibly successful high school career, which ended so damn poorly, man. Mm-hmm. I feel so bad for him. The guy worked his tail off and obviously lost on a Hail Mary as the quarterback for Duncanville his junior year in the state title game. Almost got another chance in the senior year, but uh, an ACL injury prevented that from happening. But, uh, no, this is a great get for Texas as well, and it's going to be fascinating to watch these two dudes compete over the next couple of years. And I hate to be negative, but in today's college football, you need quarterbacks. Mm -hmm. You need quarterbacks. Yeah, only one of them plays, but so many blue-chip caliber quarterback prospects, they end up transferring. It's like 50% of four- and five-star QBs end up transferring from the first school that they're at. So I don't want to think like that. You've got one more year of Sam Ellinger. But then you've got Casey Thompson. You'll have these two guys. They're looking for two guys for 2021 as well. Because dudes are transferring all the time, you have to make sure yes. you have quantity, not just quality, but also quantity on campus. And we've learned firsthand at UT, you got to make sure you have some good players too. Otherwise, your program can go through one of the worst decades in history. Yeah, the the quarter, what is it? What does Rod say? Quarterback hell. Yeah, quarter, and purgatory. Qu- quarterback hell, purgatory. You want to call it, sure, they're not in that anymore. And like you mentioned, it's you have to you have to recruit numbers. You obviously you you manage the personalities, but you need those numbers. It's like any position. You you have to make sure you can't sacrifice numbers or depth just to make people happy. In most cases. Uh, you have to find the right balance, and most of the time, depth wins that balance. 
Um, one thing about Jaquindon Jackson is if you follow him on Twitter, you may have seen him say stuff like, you know, quoting an article about that maybe nitpicking a little bit and jokingly saying, like, I can't pass or something like that. Nobody's saying, I really, I really don't believe anybody is saying I can, that Jaquindon Jackson cannot pass. I just call it, you know, he's got a rocket arm. Yeah. Thing is, his offense at Duncanville was a lot different than the Lake Travis offense. Hudson Card was a prime, a passer first, and he would get yards on the ground uh, when they were available to him. Duncanville kind of ran an offense that I, it was spread, but it seemed to be spread option. And of course, it asked him to pass, but it didn't ask him to pass much. And I'm not, I don't know whether or not it, it was a lot of different reads, but based on very, very, very limited viewing of Duncanville. It did not seem like a complex passing offense. And he's probably going to be running a much more complex passing offense while at Texas. So he's got the arm talent, and I think he's got the accuracy, arm strength, all that stuff. It's just getting the offense, Mm -hmm. getting everything down, and then just kind of making it second nature to him. Because you'll see some dual-threat quarterbacks who it's a robotic process, and it's just like I have to go through this checklist. But But they're not playing football. And I think if Texas is able to get Jaquindon Jackson able to just play football in a Longhorn uniform, they will have an extremely successful player. Hey, it's BYOC. Bring your own chip. Whatever Jaquindon Jackson is going to use as motivation to get better, then I hope he uses it. And there were a lot of schools that might not have offered Jaquindon Jackson as a quarterback, right? A lot of schools looked at him as more of an athlete, more of a wide receiver type. But Texas from day one has wanted Jaquindon as a quarterback, and that's what they're bringing him in to do, and he's going to have every opportunity to compete once he gets to campus in the fall. You want to move to running back? Let's do it, man. Only one guy to talk about here, but it's probably the guy, yeah. the only out-of-state uh, recruit in this high school – or the only out-of-state high school recruit in this cycle. Does that concern you before we really get into the player itself? Does the fact that out of 19 signees, only one of them's out-of-state, does that scare you or bother you at all? Here's the thing. Last year, Texas A&M fans were all over the fact that Texas went out of state. And, oh, you're getting run out of the state, blah, blah, blah. This year, you know, only one out-of-state signee. I think A&M had to go out-of-state for 13 signees or something like that. It's just cyclical. I, you know, yes, it does concern me a little bit that Texas got a, some had, had struggles in-state last year, and they obviously had struggles in-state this year. But, they, you know, it's one of those things where it's cyclical – and there's meaning to be grabbed from it, but I don't. Man, I'm just throwing out a word salad hmm. right now. Basically, my answer is no. Okay. I'm not. I'm not very concerned that the only out-of-state prospect was Bijan Robinson in a year where they went eight and five. Yeah. It's a lot easier to recruit out-of-state off a successful year, Bingo. off a year like eight and five where there's struggles and you know players skipping weeks and coaches getting fired. Makes sense that they're trying to just emphasize the brand in-state, but they did a great job of. Recruiting Bijan Robinson overcame a silent commitment to Ohio State and overcame a lot of different people coming after him at the end, including LSU, USC. I think I can't remember if Oklahoma wanted to get involved, but they may have. Texas lasted the whole way and made sure they got him signed, and Stan Drayton did a great job in his main target on this cycle. Yeah, if you are only going to get one out-of-state kid, this is the type of kid that you want. He's the number one running back in the country for this year, and he's a guy that – Man, you'd like to think could come in and play relatively early on during his Texas career, and you start to get excited about the running back room now at UT. 
uh, with Keontae Ingram going into his junior year with what we saw from Roshan Johnson last year. He's going to have a full offseason to learn how to really play running back. Also, Jordan Whittington, if he comes back and plays running back, uh, you've got all sorts of pieces in that running back room that you can play with, and Bijan Robinson might be the most talented of all. So, yeah, a big get. Everybody's excited about him, and you're right. You know, it's I, I don't give coaches, whether it's football, whether it's basketball, whether it's baseball, I don't give coaches at the University of Texas a whole lot of love for recruiting top-flight classes because, dude, Austin is awesome. It's a great city. It's one of the best public universities in the country. There's not a whole lot of places that have as many things to offer as Austin and as the University of Texas do. So it is relatively easy. It should be relatively easy to recruit guys to come to UT. But the fact that you're able to get a player like B. John Robinson and you're able to have a top 10 class despite going 7-5 and five in the regular season and getting rid of half of your coaching staff, I will give credit to Tom Herman, to Brian Carrington, to Drayton, to Giles, to Herb Hand, to the guys who did stick around because it's tough to get commitments when that's going on, and it's even tougher to keep those guys committed when every other school around the country is trying to reach out and saying, look how bad they are, look at how few coaches they're going to keep. Uh, the fact that they were able to recruit so well this year despite all of that I think is a good thing, and Bijan Robinson, that's that's the number one guy. That's the guy you're really glad stuck through. You, you, Texas wanted a second running back. I mean, they had uh, Ty Jordan, Ty Jordan yep. committed. Uh, he flipped to Utah. They wanted in on Lancaster's Kevontae Bradford. He committed to LSU. So, with with Bijan, you have high character kid, great football player, kid who could easily step in and get snaps right away, uh, but won't. It's not necessary that he step in and get snaps right away. Really, the only downside is that you didn't get that second back that you were looking for. Yeah. Uh, but with Bijan, you know that's. That, that kind of makes up for a lot of it. Yeah, 19, only 19 signees this year, which everybody was expecting this to be a relatively smaller class for UT because the senior class that just departed, not a whole lot of bodies. But you're right, uh, they, they would have liked to have a few more guys to close this out, another running back, maybe another receiver, another cornerback like we talked about. There's a few positions that you would love more bodies. They did really well quality-wise. You know, it's only, a, it's only the number nine, I say only, it's the ninth-ranked class in the country, according to 24-7. But in terms of average rating, it's the fifth best class in the country behind only Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, and LSU. So the quality, the quantity mm -hmm. might not be there, but the quality is really there for this class of 2020. Now we're talking about the stuff that isn't as good as the running back position, and that's wide receiver. So you had two wide receiver coaches, and, and Drew Maringer and Corby Meekins, who are not wide receiver coaches anymore. You had you still have Sam Ellinger, who had a really great year. You still have Devin Duvernay, who should have been a Bolitnikoff finalist. You still have Colin Johnson, who's probably going to end up sneaking into the draft, I believe. But you struggled because you got rid of the wide receiver coach who had maintained relationships with a lot of different guys. Uh, you struggled you know, early on to you know, get over the, oh, this is just a one-year deal, or, oh, all they do is use big receivers. Don't go there. They're not going to use you. And I think Texas has more – it's more Texas has itself to blame for its wide receiver recruiting problems than anything else. Uh, and that's – I think you saw that in the results with this 2020 class at receiver. Here are guys that they did want really badly and did not end up coming to Texas. Demon Demas – from Tom Ball or North Forest, ended up going to A&M. 
Quentin Johnston, who was committed in the class yeah. from Temple, that ends up flipping to TCU. Yeah, that hurts. Uh, they were interested in Mookie Cooper. Ohio State got him. LV Bunkley Shelton and Johnny Wilson both ended up choosing Arizona State. Uh, Loic Fungi, I forgot how you say it, chose Texas Tech after you know not getting a bunch of love from Texas. J.J. Hester, a guy that they had moderate interest in. Savion Williams from TCU, the big one, at least over this late cycle. So there's a lot of, you know, oh, and of course, Jackson Smith Jigba, you know, I think yeah. Mr. Texas Football, yeah. who Texas decided, I think a couple times, that he wasn't, you know, wasn't what they were looking for for some weird reason. Really? Yeah. Uh, and, and had a chance to get a back in. Top 10 in. player in the state. Texas wasn't interested. Yeah. Not a guy that Texas was looking out for. Yeah, goodness. That, yeah, he so must have had his name confused with somebody else, dude. I I that don't know how stuck. you confuse that guy when he's Jeez. you know setting records in six A. Anyway, hmm. that's neither here nor there at this point because none of those guys are here. Yeah. But the guys that are going to be here in Austin are Troy O'Mary from Fort Bend, Houston area, Dejon Harrison from Hutto, and Kilvante Dixon, who we've talked a lot about, and that's a solid class. Solid. But, but you just mentioned it. Texas is looking for much better than yeah. solid, and especially when you're losing Devin Duvernay, you're losing Colin Johnson, you're losing depth. You're also losing some depth guys like John Burt. You needed you needed to have a probably hit at a higher star rate this class, and that's something they just simply did not do. They have good numbers and good fits, but as far as talent, they <laughs> there's some guys going to other schools they wanted that they they had a better chance of getting. And just didn't make the process yeah. go the right way. And I know these rankings don't always pan out. And however many stars you have or wherever you're ranked doesn't necessarily dictate the amount of success you're going to have at the next level. But the Longhorns' highest ranked wide receiver recruit is the 42nd best wide receiver in college football. And that's not good enough. It's not good enough right there. And Garrett Wilson, who of course oh, will now be a sophomore at Ohio State. He said it last year. He's like, dude, they they, just, they don't really develop wide receivers. They don't get the most out of their wide receivers. He goes to Ohio State, has a great year as a freshman. But my point is he's right. Mm-hmm. Texas has to get rid of that stigma. Now, they've had a couple of great individual receivers in the last two years with L.J. Humphrey two years ago, obviously Devin Duvernay this past season. But they haven't developed the guys as well as they need to. And, yeah, it's only been one guy who's really showed out who's really been that much of a difference maker when it comes to the receiver position. So, word of mouth, these kids are watching TV. They're seeing what the UT receivers are doing versus Ohio State and LSU and these other schools. I, I totally get it. You're right. I think Texas kind of screwed itself by its struggles developing receivers and just its overall struggles in the passing offense. I think that's why they're not getting the caliber of receivers that they're getting at other positions on their roster. Yeah, they, that's definitely a place where you'd want to see Andre Coleman improve the recruiting. I know the whole storyline has been developer, developer, developer across all all the different position coaching hires, but this is a place where either you either recruit better guys or you recruit or you figure out how to find the, you know, from the hundreds of wide receivers that this state produces, the right one and pushing the right buttons once he gets on campus, and that's not something Texas has done particularly well with. I mean, Lil Jordan Humphrey he wasn't rated highly, but everybody saw a football player. Devin Duvernay, I believe, was a fringe, if not a five-star prospect. Colin Johnson and he was— he only came to Texas because of what happened— Because Baylor messed Briles up— and Baylor. Met, met, Baylor messed up a bunch of paperwork. Uh, Colin Johnson was a Texas legacy. He was, you know, it. 
the the story has to be changed with Texas recruiting wide receivers, and it has not. It's starting to with guys like Humphrey and Duvernay, mm-hmm. but a guy that Tom Herman, a guy who Tom Herman recruited while at Texas, still has not taken one of those big steps. And maybe they're hoping that it's Brennan Eagles, but it's not something Tom Herman has shown he can do with players he's brought to Texas yeah, quite that's yet. going to be the job. You mentioned Andre Coleman. You mentioned Tom Herman. Also Mike Yersich, the new mm-hmm. offensive coordinator. Like Those guys have to remove that stigma. They've got to develop some wide receivers because – that's probably the position of greatest concern for me looking at this roster for 2020, looking at this team for 2020. Who's going to replace Duvernay and Colin Johnson? Because those were really the only two consistent guys that you had. And hell, when Colin Johnson wasn't on the field last year, we saw how much this offense took a hit. Now you don't have him or Devin Duvernay. Uh, that's a huge, huge question. Those guys have their work cut out for them for sure. So moving on to another uh, offensive position, Kind of a NA in this class, I guess you could say, and that's tight end yeah. or or the, the Y position. I think A that's part of part of because you have Jaden Hullaby, his brother or either brother or cousin is Jalen. Jaden Hullaby, a guy six two two oh five, can play can be a little bit more of an athletic option at that spot. Oklahoma's had guys like this in the past few years. I believe you know Mark Andrews kind of fit this role. Calcaterra was more of a regular in-line tight end receiver type, but you know, uh, you saw what An- An- Andrews, what wasn't he an all-pro or a Pro Bowl guy or mm-hmm. a key cog at least for the Ravens this year? So that's kind of what uh, Hullaby fits instead of being a traditional pass-catching tight end or you know in-long in-line. You think block. he's big enough to? I mean, I he's going to have to put some meat on his bones for sure, but do you think that's where he projects to be? He, he's a guy that either projects to be a versatile option at that position, something Texas hasn't shown they can use, or hasn't shown a lot of in the past few years, but you know they may add it to the playbook or emphasize a little bit more if he's able to play. He could play linebacker, and that's the other thing. He, he's got that size. He played quarterback uh, all this past year for Mansfield Timberview, so you know he can move. Yeah. You know he's got he's athletic enough to do that. He's a guy, especially with your problems at linebacker, he could be a guy that moves there. But if they're going to keep him on the offensive side of the ball, he's just a different piece, a different look uh, at that Y position than what they've had going after you know six four two forty five ish guys. You know with you know Jared Wiley excluded because he's a lot bigger than those just naturally. But they're they've been looking mostly for guys who play tight end and different stuff like that. This guy is a is a little bit more versatile, but it's a role they still kind of need to figure yeah, out for them. They've got plenty of tight ends on campus, and they've got four guys all coming back this year, so we'll see if there's more production out of that position. But, yeah, J- Jaden Holoby is the biggest question mark of this class, not in terms of talent, in terms of where the hell is he yeah. going to play, right? I mean, for some guys, it's, ah, are they going to be D-end or D-tackle? Uh, what wide receiver group are they going to play in? Or what wide receiver position are they going to be? For Hullaby, it's like, yeah, is he going to be on offense? Is he going to be on defense? Could he be an H-back? Hell, he's got running back type of size. Could he be a linebacker, as you mentioned? I'm curious to see what happens with him. I hadn't thought about uh, the tight end H-back type of role, but maybe that's uh, the best fit. Maybe that's where the coaches will want to use him. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with him over the summer where they throw him first and how he goes uh, with being in that first spot. Offensive line. I think this was a very good offensive line haul. Uh, there's some issues with it just because of Jalen Garth's injury, missed his whole senior year uh, from Port Natchez Groves. Uh, but he, Logan Parr from Elotus O'Connor, Jake Majors from Prosper, and Andre Carrick from Southlake Carroll make up the four-man class. And 
it I think it kind of hits on everything. Karak and Garth can are tackles first, and if they're not tackles, they're guards. Parr and Majors. Parr knows he's a guard and played that at high in at at O'Connor, and Majors at Prosper. He played a lot of tackle, but they they envision him being a center. He's been working at be, becoming and learning a center and all the stuff that goes like with that. And there were a couple guys that they were interested in, at least along the offensive line earlier, like Damian George, like Chad Lindbergh, uh, even a guy from uh, Arizona like Tosh Baker. Uh, ultimately, those guys ended up choosing other schools, and Texas was able to get a solid four-man class without with, by, and they addressed all their needs, and they didn't jeopardize the possibility of loading up in 2021 where there is some elite talent yeah, in that class. no doubt about that. That's really the position group to watch for next year. But, uh, yeah, they got four guys, and they didn't have to settle for any of the four, right? The four guys that Texas really wanted, the four guys that they had committed very early on, and two of them are already on campus with Jake Majors and Logan Parr. So, that depth, man, I mean, we've seen it firsthand how important the offensive line is to the success of a football team. Everybody's always caught up in the quarterback play for why the Longhorns sucked so bad the last decade. You can also look at the offensive line play, right? The fact that in between Tony Hills and Connor Williams, the Longhorns didn't have one offensive lineman drafted. Not first-round pick, mm-hmm. not first-two-day pick, drafted at all in the NFL. So, you need that, you're getting there, which is good, but you got to keep adding more and more bodies and more and more talent in that offensive line room. Get him coached up by Herb Hand. Uh, pretty good haul this year by him and, and this entire coaching staff. As we saw with Florida State, if you can't do anything on the offensive line, like anything, it just derails everything else. Yeah, I mean, so, you, you don't even have to look at Florida State. Look at Texas. I mean, look yeah, at we Jonathan tra- Gray and Malcolm Brown. Like, those guys were so highly touted recruiting running backs, and everyone's like, ah, oh, they suck. No, they, nobody in front of them blocking. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't care if you're Walter Payton or Emmett Smith, dude. If you're running behind the guys that Texas had in the middle of last decade, you're not going anywhere. So, yeah, all of your other talent is wasted if you don't have the big uglies up front getting the job done. They don't get the glitz, the glamour, the headlines, but they're the most important parts uh, to the success of somebody's offense. Man, that's why picking the uh, all-decade offensive line was a very difficult task. I, I don't even know how you did it. Difficult in a different sense was the all-decade defensive line, but that's last decade. We'll talk about the defensive line for this class. We talked a lot about Collins being the five-star, but we also, but Texas also signed Vernon Broughton from Cy Ridge and Sawyer Gorham Welch from Longview. So they've got, you know, two elite-level prospects in Broughton and Collins, who kind of are similar in that they're both <laughs> they're both huge. <laughs> they're both six-five, two eighty-five can kind of switch in between, you know, playing end and playing tackle. And they're huge recruitments in that they beat some big-time regional rivals for both their services. Broughton was a big, I think, A&M, Oklahoma, Texas battle. LSU involved as well. And then Collins was Oklahoma, Texas, and Alabama. And then Gorham Welch, you get a kid from a successful program in Longview who you're not going to be asked to – you're not asking to do anything right away. And I'm not sure, I think I kind of mentioned this with Collins, I don't know if there's anybody that's going to be needed right away from this defensive line haul, but that, that's fine with what you have over these past couple classes. Yeah. And, you know, it, this, I think this addressed all the needs that you need. And it, maybe you wanted one more just because you're moving to a four-man front. But other than that, I think you have a good fit for basically every yeah, spot Broughton here. Yeah, Rotten and Collins, I mean, those are two of the crown jewels of this class. And Gorham Welch, kind of a late find, but 
you're right, maybe a couple of years down the road can be a key contributor to that defensive line room. I don't know, man. I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I mean, maybe maybe the Longhorns won't have to rely on Collins or Broughton, but I think those dudes are going to have opportunities to play. I don't think either of those guys are going to play fewer than four games because just thinking about defensive tackle. You got Keandre Coburn. You got Moro Ojimo. And who else? Like you, you can speculate, oh, is this guy going to slide inside? Is this guy going to slide inside? Maybe Daniel Carr. Like, there's plenty of plenty of names out there, but I think there's going to be some opportunity, especially for Broughton, mm-hmm. who's a little bit lower touted than Alfred Collins. But because Broughton's already on campus as an early enrollee, I think that dude's going to have some opportunities to play in his first year at UT just because there's not a whole lot of obvious defensive tackle prospects on this roster right now. So you now. think more than four games for, for, for Broughton? Yeah. I mean, you, you'd love to recruit these guys, and I could be dead wrong, and maybe I'm overrating Broughton a little bit, or maybe I'm underrating the other guys a little bit, but I just I think there's I think you're going to have to, especially if somebody gets hurt, which you don't want to wish that upon anybody, but it's football after all. And if Keandre Coburn or Moro Ojimo goes down, then it, it seems like those guys will have great opportunities to play. Yeah, and luckily they're talented enough to be ready this for year. For sure. Guys who may not have an opportunity to play early, but or they might, depending on what what you think the position is linebacker. And linebacker needs changed a, a significant amount with the change from Orlando to uh, to Chris Ash. There's likely only going to be two on the field instead of three. Um, responsibilities are going to be different. Uh, but they got two players, one in Prince Dorba and one in Jalen Ford, the signing day flip, who it's kind of a question there. I mean, Prince Dorba played – Defensive line, his entire career at Highland Park High School, was probably going to play a B-backer role while at Texas. And then, you know, everything changes. You get Chris Ash in there. Dorva played off-the-ball linebacker during the All-American Bowl practices and did well, but that's a very short week and only a short glimpse. So there's a lot of questions with this linebacker class. Jalen Ford is good, but I think kind of similar to Rake Straw is ranked about right. Uh, And Prince Dorba, like I said, he had his hand in the ground all three to four years of his high school career. So there's a lot of questions. I think not so much about the talent, but just how much these guys fit in the positions that Texas is going to ask them to play. Yeah, just looking at the roster, I mean, linebacker. We talked about wide receiver on offense being maybe being the biggest concern. On defense, it's got to be linebacker, right? I mean, thankfully. It has to be linebacker. Thankfully, the coaching staff was able to talk Jawan Mitchell off the ledge, right? He Mm -hmm. was in the transfer portal for a couple of days, and then he withdrew his name, so he'll be back. You've got him and Delia Dayway, your projected starters. And Dayway was a highly touted recruit. He's shown flashes, but he hasn't quite been that consistent. Jawan Mitchell was up and down last year. I mean, those are your starters. And then we're talking David Benda and Marcus Tillman and – Court Jock, the the walk on who it's played a lot of questions. in the Utah game, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, there's potential playing time there, but I don't think either of these guys are ready what right away. Talking about Prince Dorbit and Jalen Ford, so yeah, that's the biggest question mark for me. Um, I think Texas is going to look at the transfer portal and especially at the grad transfer market to see if there's somebody who can come in and at least contribute a little bit at the linebacker room, and if there is somebody highly touted. I think that could be good for Texas because they're probably going to look at this linebacking core and say, oh, shoot, I got a damn good chance to play a lot if I come here this year. So, yeah, that's that's a question mark, obviously, for Texas. They did okay in the recruiting front, but uh, they still need to find somebody to help in the short term. I think there's a good chance that they look at the grad transfer portal. Uh, you mentioned Juwan Mitchell. I think last year 
it was either him or Willie Tyler where it became apparent that he was an immediate qualifier, and that's what bumped his recruitment up out of the JUCO stages. I don't know if you know they they I'm sure they have their ears on the ground for something else like that. They've had a pretty good story with junior college linebackers in recent years, especially with you know with Juwan Mitchell getting a bunch of playing time and and also with Gary Johnson sure. becoming a key contributor. So they have a good story to tell, but that's yeah, they just need they need to find some people there because people they have you're not totally sure about uh and, or are potentially walk-ons. It's amazing that we're in this situation with any position. It's like recruited three top ten classes in a row how how do you not have linebackers right now they just neglected that way too much it's just I don't it's a tough position to find in Texas and yeah. you know they can be a highly ranked class classes but there's still some holes and obviously linebacker has been a hole in the last couple of classes but last position group since there are no specialists this year cannot analyze any <laughs> Australian punters or or uh, Lake Travis kickers we'll just throw all the DBs in there together uh, and go through them really quickly. At safety, safety is definitely a role that's going to be changing at Texas. For at, sure. Instead of maybe having three to four on the field at the same time, it may go back down to two, uh, considering the way that nickel may work in this in this defense. And so at safety, they signed two guys, Xavier uh, Alford, early enrollee from Shadow Creek, and Jaron Thompson, early enrollee from Lufkin. And I think they got two really smart football players. I think these guys – are extremely capable. If you needed them to chalkboard something, these are the first two players you might call from this class. I'm really excited about these two guys, man. Uh, under-talked about, in my opinion, but early enrollees, you know, there's a lot of safeties on campus already, so they're probably not going to be playing early on, but smart is a good word, and I think both of these dudes, they're going to be household names amongst Longhorn fans by the time their careers are done. I'm I'm extremely Excited too. I think Xavier Alford is one of the smartest players that I've come across covering recruiting, and I think that if you can combine that with his athleticism, you're going to have a guy who knows where and when to be on the field Love against a, a variety of defenses. And he's got some good guys to learn from, right? Uh, the safeties with Caden Stearns, with B.J. Foster, with Chris Brown, with Overshone. I mean, there's there's a lot of bodies, a lot of good, and a lot of smart players that these guys can learn from too. And Jaron Thompson, a guy who just you know, he's he's definitely one of those kids you can tell that everything kind of goes away and he becomes himself when he steps on the football field and lets all that out. And I think you're going to see that at Texas as well. And, of course, being able to get into this defense right away without having to – with having literally a coach there to tell you if you've got something wrong instead of studying the playbook at home and not knowing if you've got it messed up, yep. uh, there's, there's value there. And then the problem – Position that we talked about a little bit with when talking to about Ennis Rakestraw was Keaton Crawford. He's a great addition. He's still lacking some of the, I guess, uh, fundamental parts of you know unbelievable athlete 5'11", 200, participates in Texas relays uh, on John uh, on John Tyler's track team. He's a good take, but you've got to you've got to find more than him. You have yeah. to find more than him, and that's really the only big downer on this defensive class. Oh, he's he got, got fundamental numbers. questions. He'll fit right in as a cornerback at Texas. That's, that's this whole team over the last That's where he needs years. to make the most progress. I got there you. we go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I've heard great things. Talking to you, talking to Justin Wells, your cohort over at Inside Texas. Uh, unbelievably fast, great athlete, as you mentioned. Uh, you hope he's not relied upon, though, to make much of an impact early on because he has some things to learn. And 
I mean, it's all the cornerbacks at Texas, right? What are you going to get out of Jalen Green? What are you going to get out of Anthony Cook, out of Deshaun Jameson, out of Kenyatta Watson, out of Chris Adamore? Like, there's names. Mm-hmm. These are former four-star recruits. There's talent there, but we haven't seen it consistently enough to feel great about that position going in. Now the hope is, look, Todd Orlando being gone, maybe that fixes some things, right? Maybe the new scheme with Chris Ash and Jay Valai as the cornerback's coach, maybe that helps some things. But, man, there's no doubt the cornerback position is uh, is a big question mark for this football team going into 2020. Yep, Jay Valai's got a significant amount of work to do on the oh, trail, yeah. but there's some good 2021 and 2022 cornerbacks out there what about jordan parker from oklahoma he's a grad transfer guy oh i thought you were back jordan parker see i think i used to think parnell motley was an awful college football player and that every offense should throw at him <laughs> and he proved me wrong yeah he got a lot better over uh, the course of his career jordan parker did he i'm just looking have at an injury online. yeah he did get hurt uh, yeah. last year well man i don't you don't see very many norman to austin How about transfers that, right but that'd be That'd be something if that were to occur. But, of course, I mean, they're going to be looking for any any defensive back, probably any linebacker, and you know, I don't even know, maybe maybe a wide receiver yeah. if they want somebody right away. But I think those are the positions you have to look for. Texas looking for help in the offseason. No doubt. Well, that's about as in-depth of a breakdown of a recruiting class as we could possibly give, isn't it? Yeah. We touched on all 19 signings. through everybody. Number and nine even class. some people who didn't make even it Even some in. people who didn't make it in, right? We gave you just about everything you could possibly want coming up on near an hour. Should we hit some basketball real quick? Texas hoops? Let's hit some Texas hoops real quick. All right. Oh, I'm starting it. Okay. (laughs) I guess so. I don't know. You start the colonoscopy. I don't want to do it. It's not uh, fun talking about this team. Here's the thing they have coming up this weekend. And I guess we can talk about their struggles in the fog a little bit. But Texas teams always struggle in the fog. It doesn't matter who's head coach, whether it's Rick Barnes, Shaka Smart, uh, Tom Penders, you know, whoever else it was. Most teams. Most teams don't win at Fog Allen exactly. Fieldhouse. And even though, what, they had a two-point lead heading in the halftime, mm-hmm. we're all just waiting. When's it, it going to two-point game at the under 12 in the second half, too. I mean, it's like yeah. Texas was right there. But here's the thing. Texas, what, they scored. There was a point where I looked down. I'm like, oh, they scored 13 points in this half. And Kansas – has scored a lot more in this half. <laughs> and, of course, Devin Dotson, Doka Azubuke, those are guys that are matchup issues for every team. But, once again, they just give you hope, and then they just trample over that hope again and again and again until the clock hits triple zero. Yeah, absolutely. And it's happened so many times in the Shaka Smart era, Joe, where it's just they go in these offensive droughts Mm-hmm. at the least opportune times. And you can't get away with that, especially at Kansas, right? It was a 17-2 to run. So it was a two-point game. It was 44-42 to at the under-12 timeout in the second half. And then, boom, Kansas starts hitting some buckets, and Texas goes cold offensively. It's a 17-2 to run, and all of a sudden it's ball game. I mean, it goes from, damn, we have a chance to, okay, we're done, and, oh, my God, we might not even cover the 15-point mm-hmm. Vegas line here. What the hell just happened uh, it's happened way too many times with Texas basketball in the Shaka Smart era. They just half-court offense when they need a bucket. They don't have a go-to guy. They don't have a go-to play. It's all high screen and roll action over and over again, which works, but eventually teams figure out how to defend it, and it's another heartbreaking loss for Texas in a game where, you know, yeah, 
we're all expecting them to fall apart, but they had a chance. Mm-hmm. They were right there both times against Kansas. Hell, it was a tie game with five minutes to go here in Austin. They were within two with 11 minutes to go up in Lawrence. They've played some good teams close. And really outside of West Virginia and I guess kind of the end of Baylor, it's like they've they've had opportunities to beat some good teams this year, yet they can't find a way to get it done. you got Texas Tech coming to town on Saturday, number one team in the country, Baylor coming to town on Monday kind of feels like you need both of them. It really does. And right now, Texas has one, kind of one win over a tournament team. I mean, looking at Lenardi's bracketology right now, Purdue is one of his last four teams in. <laughs> and that's Texas's best win this year. Which, Purdue. Hey, winning at Mackey, yeah, that's how it's pronounced. Mm. Everybody else says it wrong. I'll give I'll give you program, but Purdue is, nah, is a Purdue. bridge too far. Purdue. Everyone's putting the emphasis on the wrong part of the word. Okay. But uh, however you pronounce it, that's the best win the Longhorns have this year. And it's been a while since that game happened. That was the second game of the year. And it's unfortunate that the Big 12 is as bad as it is, right? There's there's really only three locks in this conference to make the tournament right now with, with Baylor, Kansas, and West Virginia. You know, Texas Tech, as of right now, they're in. But this game for them on Saturday is pretty important for them as well. And Oklahoma is kind of a bubble team, too. So there's not a whole lot of opportunities left for quality wins for Texas. They've got Tech twice. They've got Baylor coming to town and then West Virginia coming to town in a couple of weeks. That's really it. So if the Longhorns want to make the dance, and you know a lot of people assume that means that's the only way Shaka Smart saves his job. So if he wants to save his job, they might need not just one, but they might need both of these games here in Austin over that three-day stretch from Saturday to Monday. Right now, Texas is 14-8 and and 4-5 and in the Big 12, halfway through the slate. The way the conference was at the beginning of the year, maybe you could anticipate they only needed eight games to get into the tournament, as long as they didn't slip up, I think, what, more than once in non-conference play. Well, they did that. The other thing is they may need to win nine, potentially. I don't know if nine's going to be enough. Really? I don't know if nine's going to be enough this year. I mean, it depends. Like, if they go out and beat Baylor and West Virginia and split with Tech, like, okay, you've got some quality wins there, but – that's the issue. There's not a lot of quality wins mm. to be had, and Texas has one kind of quality win this year. That's it. Mm. Uh, what else? Yeah, there's, TCU, no, there's no TCU strength is not to good. Resume. Like TCU is probably their second best win in Fort Worth. TCU is nowhere close to the bubble right now. Like they've got a ton of work to do to get in. So yeah, you need quality wins on your resume when you're comparing yourself across the country, and it's bittersweet, right? It's good. Texas maybe can get to nine. Maybe they can get to 10. I doubt it. But maybe they can get to nine wins in conference play, which before the year, okay, that's probably enough. But if you're just beating crap teams over and over again to get to your nine, then that's not going to do anything for you come Selection Sunday. So they've got a ton of work to do, man. It's not looking likely right now. It's not looking good right now. It really hasn't been looking good for the last couple of weeks. But uh, they're, they're running out of opportunities for good enough wins to help bolster their resume. It's clear what you think about the program. It's clear what most fans think about the program. And a lot, several fans were even able to make those thoughts known to the athletic director uh, this past week. Texas hosted a Texas Athletics town hall. And it was in a place where the only other time I had been in that room was to see Hank Aaron speak. Oh. And there was a lot more people that night than there were. I think there I, – I, How was w- that that speech? Where was that? It was in uh, Lady Bird Auditorium in the LBJ school. Sweet. So, I couldn't tell you where that is. I couldn't point it out, right but by I the, remember right seeing by Hank Aaron speak. Right by the LBJ fountain. Which one is that? Is that the one uh, in front of the tower? The By the LBJ school. Dude, I don't that know. That houses the LBJ – okay. We got a presidential school or something? 
Oh, where the library's at. Yeah. LBJ Library. Okay. Um, anyway, oh, there we go. so Good time. Chris Del Conte, I, when I first got there, I thought there were about 100 people. I didn't turn around that much, but I bet some more carried in. No way there was more than 500 people there. Uh, but yeah, Night you know, of the Presidential State of the Union. That's an interesting strategy there from UT. Maybe they didn't want that many people there to ask CDC some hard questions. But they put it in consider who goes to these things to ask hard questions, that's including true. a guy who, uh, a credit to him for his persistence, but... Uh, was really complaining about the Irwin Center environment and had very specific plans that he drew up himself as to how to fix it. That included a song, I believe, he composed as well. No way. Lots Did he of, sing it? Uh, no, he oh. didn't, but he he tore open his shirt to reveal a T-shirt that had you know something about, I think it was like the number of people who stayed for the last game, home hmm. NIT game or something like that. Does he know... That there's a new arena coming? I don't, I don't even know. Why is he know. trying to save the arena that's going away? I, I don't. Fear the I don't he wasn't I trying to save the arena. The flan, he was just but, trying to improve uh, it. Uh, it hey, was, don't say nobody cares about Texas Hoops. Exactly. Yes, yeah. But I think, well, obviously, one of the recurring questions was men's basketball in the situation. And that, there was a question and answer form. And, of course, Chris Del Conte is going to be cautious and supportive of a guy who is still his employee. Sure. He's and. But I think one of the comments he said to reporters after uh, was very striking to me was that, you know, we, he basically said something along the lines of, we hear the noise. You know, we know that, especially when I'm, and this is me saying this, when I say that Texas should expect to be a top 10 program in every single sport, that not making the NCAA tournament doesn't really fall in line with those demands. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like, I mean, of course, men's basketball is going to be the big issue when you're able to complain directly to the guy. But aside from other things, you know, name, image, and likeness barely came up. Uh, noise at DKR came up a few times. Hmm. One, some people think it's too loud. Some people think too loud. Some people think it's not loud enough. Uh, I, I would agree with but, them. But the theme was, uh, as far as speaker music. But the theme. Oh, okay. But. Obviously, the thing that people kept coming back to was was men's basketball, yeah. and that just says a lot about the state of the program right now. And some people were upset with some of the tweets, right? People would post pictures, and you were doing this too, of, of what Chris Del Conte had to say. And one of the things that mm-hmm. upset people was he said that Chaka Smart's a great dude and he's had some bad luck. It's like that. And the Andrew Jones thing, bad luck, very unfortunate to lose your best player to leukemia. That's that's tragic, but you know, we're into year five right now. It's more than bad luck. It's bad coaching, and it's a bad fit right now. But you're right. No one, no athletics director is ever going to publicly go out while the guy is still employed at the school and say, oh, he's on the hot seat, or he better do this, or he's gone, or he's not getting the job done. Like, you he was never going to say something like that. You don't want him saying something like that. I hear the noise honest. is all he needed to say, I, and exactly. probably was the perfect thing to He's say. He's smart enough to to realize what's going on and the apathy of this fan base. And if he wasn't, he learned it at the City Hall event on Tuesday night. I mean, the thing is, if you would have asked me this time last year what Shaka Smart would have had to do to keep his job, I would have said, oh, he had to make the tournament. Last year. Didn't make the tournament, but he came back for another year, whether that was NIT-based, whether that was NIT championship-based or not, he's still here. I think we all think now, way more people are on my side this year than last year, that if he doesn't make the tournament this year in 2020, then he's going to be gone. It is still a hefty buyout, but if you want to be a Goliath, like Chris Del Conte called Texas the other day, 
You'll pay $10.5 million, and you'll go get a Goliath-caliber coach, not a David who got lucky and led VCU to one Final Four run and then changed his coaching style when he took a bigger job. you got to go get somebody better to lead this basketball program than what you have right now. All right. Good stuff, man. Fun podcast. The One and O podcast. Thank you all so much for listening. Be sure to check us out. Rate, subscribe, wherever you get your podcasts, and also check out the Everyone Gets a Trophy podcast. Kevin Dunn, Paul Wadlington. I know they dropped an episode earlier this week, so be sure to listen to that. Thanks again to our sponsors, AV Consultations and Altstat Beer. Follow Joe on Twitter at josephcook89, and check out the great work that he does over at InsideTexas.com. And then follow me on Twitter at Brad Kellner. Listen to the Midday Program Midday with Trey and BK from 10 to 1 on the Horn and HornFM.com. Joe's going to be joining us uh, for a phone conversation tomorrow as well, so be sure to check that out at noon. That's it. Send us an email. Everyone gets a trophy. That's the number one. Everyone gets a trophy at gmail.com. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, feedback, whatever is on your mind. But uh, that's going to do it for today. Until next time, thanks for listening. Y'all have a good one and hook them.